of us really know what's going on with our kids when they're at school? What kind of pressures are they dealing with? What are the challenges they're faced with? In today's episode, we get a sneak peek into the day of the life of a middle schooler. Corinne Kendall, a middle school counselor, talks to us about what she sees as some of the trends and challenges that our young people are dealing with and what we as intentional parents can do to help combat the trends of the world. Welcome to the My Teaching Matters podcast, where our mission is to help you, the intentional parent, to teach your children in such a way that they can personally experience the power of Jesus Christ while still at home. everybody. Welcome to the My Teaching Matters podcast. I'm Leslie Johnson, your host today, and with me is a special guest, Corrine Kendall. Say hi, Corrine. Hi, everybody. Corrine is here with us today. She is a school counselor, and I have invited her to come and talk to us um, and tell us a little bit about what she sees being in the schools as she's with children of all ages and backgrounds and um, um, different um, home situations, and she has some interesting insights. So, Corinne, could you take a minute and just introduce yourself and tell us um, a little bit about you and what you do? Sure. Well, so, like she said, I am a school counselor. I have been a licensed school counselor for four years now, um, but I have been working in the school systems for quite a while. I've spent three years in an elementary school and five years in a high school. My last four years have been in a junior high middle school setting. So it's been really great to get to know the kids on this on um, different levels. And that's a, that's a little bit about my history. Um, what else did you ask me to say? Just about your family. What, tell us a little bit about you and your family. And um, you've got four kids. Oh, okay. I have four kids. Uh, my youngest is 15, and then I, my oldest is 21. Um, so two of them have graduated high school, and uh, my youngest is in ninth grade currently, and I have an 11th grader. So that's a little bit about my family. Um, we live in the Salt Lake Valley. I have lived here for many years since I've been married, basically. And so we've raised our kids here in the city, and uh, that's so little. I've been married for about, oh, well, it's 23 years, and that is a little bit about my family. That's awesome. Thanks, Corrine. So um, tell us a little bit about um, what you do as a school counselor, and, and maybe share with us um, a story or two of, of what you see on a daily basis being with with children all day long? Okay. Well, let me start with a quick little story. Um, I am currently in a school where we, so last year our school had seventh, eighth, and ninth graders. This year we moved to sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. So we brought up sixth graders and ninth graders went up to the high school. So our sixth graders have a class called sixth grade success. And we as counselors, we go into the classroom once a month and do a classroom presentation. 
And so a couple months ago, I was just walking around the halls, uh, the cafeteria area at lunchtime, and one of our cute little sixth grade boys came up to me and said, Miss Kendall, when are you coming back into our count, into our classroom? We love having you. And he's like, I've got an empty desk right next to me. You could come sit anytime. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he just wants us in there. And it was so cute to have a boy for one <laughs> say mm-hmm. that to me. And then, um, a little sixth grader. So I, I feel like it's really great getting to know the kids and being in a setting where you can have an impact on them and their lives. But the state as a whole, Utah, I'm, I'm talking about, I don't know much outside of Utah, but we are trending to get school counselors in every level of schools. So far, we have them in every junior high and high school, and it's going to, uh, they're trying to get them in every elementary, too. So I found that it was interesting when you said that we're trying to get more counselors in the younger grades. You know, I don't even remember Mm -hmm. having a counselor when I was going to school, except in high school who helped me, like you say, with my schedule changes or graduation. So what is it about what's what's trending in our world today that we feel like we need to give more support um, and more counseling to our children as they're growing up? What do you see um, happening in the lives of these kids? (laughs) Well, trending, I mean, we're all very aware of COVID, which has kind of shut down life for a period, and it's created so much more anxiety, depression. Um, We've got, there's, unfortunately, there's people who don't know how to deal with some of that, and there's a lot of cutting going on, and suicidal ideation. Um, What what do you mean by that? What does that mean? Suicide. Suicidal ideation is just thoughts of suicide. Okay. That's the, I guess, the technical term that people use. Um, but it's just a lot of, of suicidal thoughts. Wow. And I, it's really sad. Um, and, and people are afraid to talk about it because they're afraid that what if I say something, it might put something, a bug in their ear. It might make them think about wanting to do it. But trust me, they have already thought about it, and you're not putting the bug in their ear. Like, they they hear about it in school. Their friends are talking about it. Um, hmm. It is not, it's not something that most likely you are not going to be introducing the thought to them. And you're seeing that as young as, as middle school age kids? So much. Um, it's really sad. And, and I'm working with 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds. And yes, we have some of these kiddos are struggling so bad with their mental health. So that's been one of the uh, biggest issues right now that I'm seeing. Wow. So what are some of the other, I mean, other things that kids are dealing with right now? I mean, you've got You've got these ideas Um, of depression and anxiety, but are there other things? Um, Yes. And it's probably out, like I'm sure you guys have heard of this, but there's so many more people coming out as LGBTQ+. Um, 
And so many kids, and I, I hear it all the time in junior high, middle school, mm-hmm. and I know it's even more so in high school, um, but these kids exper- uh, experimenting, I guess, a little bit with who they truly are. Um, I do think because it's talked about so much that it's more on the forefront of their minds also. Um, do you feel like it's but- kind of a fad? Is this something that kind of a is becoming an in kind of thing or what's your thoughts um i do think there's a little bit to that i think that maybe someone doesn't feel like they fit in and so then well let's try try it this way and our lgbtq population they are generally so willing to accept anyone Mm. their arms are open and so it's it's a group of people who really feel accepted and loved. And so um, a fad or not, I think it's it's a way to feel included. Interesting. What about, I mean, I remember being young like that and having a lot of insecurities, having some, um, you know, not feeling comfortable in my own skin. I'm sure that that's still around. Yes. Absolutely. And kids, a lot of times, they just don't know how to deal with their feelings. <laughs> they mm-hmm. don't know. Uh, they have a, a feeling of loneliness, a feeling of anxiety or depression, and they don't know how to deal with it. And they don't know where to go. So I mean, you see them going to the internet. A lot of times these kids don't feel comfortable talking to adults about it. They may share things with their friends, um, but a lot of times some of these kids don't really have friends they feel comfortable even opening up with. You as a counselor then are going into the classrooms, you're broaching these topics, you're talking about some of these things just to kind of help them. Um, I would imagine you're trying to help them see it in a in a positive light, how to deal with these kind of issues in a positive manner instead of some of the negative um responses that they are trending towards. Is that kind of what you hope to be doing as a counselor? Yes, absolutely. We go into the classrooms and hopefully just for one, we get in there and help the students see that there is an adult in the building who they can talk to about these kind of things. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the number one thing is I want my face out there so that they know that there's someone they can talk to. A lot of kids are comfortable with some of their teachers, but do teachers really have time to delve into some of these issues? Not usually. Gotcha. Um, And so that's our number one thing is just to get our faces out there so that they know that they can come talk to us. And because there really are so many resources out there um, that we can guide them towards. And we are, uh, we have to uh, let parents know if there's certain situations, but for the most part, it's confidential and they can just talk to us and it really is just as we are a sounding board to them. So do you have an experience of somebody can, I don't know, maybe you can't tell because things are confidential, but what kind of things would these kids come to, to you about? Um, what are some of the, problems that they feel like they need to to share or have 
counseling about or help with? Um, well, some of the, you know, the problems, for the most part, I have people coming all the time for test anxiety. They don't know how to deal with um, their their emotions, and, and they get too amped up to take tests very effectively. Um, I have kids, especially at a junior high with sixth graders, we have a lot of tattletelling. <laughs> so that's fun. <laughs> um, we... <laughs> They haven't quite got uh, over that part yet. Compare with that, <laughs> um, but we and we don't do a whole lot with that, other than if there is a serious situation, we can um, talk to the person. But normally, it's just trying to teach the person to work through their emotions and 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 work through how they can help the situation themselves. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but. Other things, you know, anxiety. We have, our our school, we have what's called a calming room. And it's got a recliner chair. And we've got low lights in there. We've got um, like a a fake fish tank, which is kind of fun. And um, But then there's some fidget toys in there that they can play with or just sit there and rest for a minute. And we allow the kids to come into our calming room as needed. We put a time limit on it, but it gives them, you know, if they really are having a a panic attack or really anxious about something, they can come down to a calming area and just relax for a few minutes. And that tends to help quite a bit with helping the kids move on and, and be able to make it through the rest of the day. So what do you think are some of the causes for this high anxiety and some of these issues that these kids are, are dealing with? I don't know if it's more prevalent now than it used to be, or if we're just recognizing Mm -hmm. it more. Um, But what would you, you know, as talking to these kids, what do you feel like are some of the contributing factors to some of these feelings that these kids are dealing with? Well, I would say these kids have so many challenges right now. They are, um, they have phones. Like when I, you know, and obviously if I've been married 23 years, you can do the math. I am old. So, um, I did not have a cell phone. Um, I remember the days of having to talk to my friends on my phone in the living room and my family could all hear the conversation. So it was very different than what our kids now are, are dealing with. Um, but we put this high powered device. I mean, think about it. It wasn't even very long ago that the president of the United States was the only one. He had a Blackberry that, you know, security clearance and like the common person could not have that capability. Um, but now our phones have way more capability than the president of the United States had, you know, I think mm-hmm. about that and it blows me away. And we put these high power devices into the hands of our kids and tell them, obey the rules, watch yourself, don't do these things. Um, but then how many adults can't even do that? You know, you know, um, that is so true. I feel like, um, 
you know, we, we, everybody has one, so you feel like you have to get them one. Um, mm-hmm. but there's so many things on there that they, they haven't yet learned at that age, particularly middle school or even into high school. They haven't learned yet. Their mind hasn't, um, developed to the point that they know how to control themselves and how to uh, make those kind of choices. And so when we, um, exacerbate that issue by giving them access to all of these things, I can, I, I can see how that can just really make it difficult for them to, um, monitor themselves, monitor their time, monitor their thoughts, monitor their actions, mm-hmm. um, when they're so, um, influenced by what is on media. Yeah. Well, and nowadays, like we give, like we, so we have sixth graders. There are not very many sixth graders in our building who do not have a phone. Wow. Um, We, our school itself has become last year and we did it again this year. We made it a, a no, no technology zone during the school day. So kids cannot have their phones out. They're not to be on their their devices at all, other than their Chromebooks for schoolwork. Um, But during the school day, we had a debate whether to let them do it at lunchtime. We've chosen not to. And I'll tell you what, our cafeteria is way louder now (laughs) because kids are actually talking to each other, um, where the year before we implemented this, the kids were all, you know, they'd find their own place in the hallway and go right on their phone. And so, you know, if we can learn to manage their phones, like I feel like that's one of the greatest challenges right now. Mm-hmm. Um, another challenge is their, like, computers and Chromebooks. Right now, I don't know about where you guys live, but even elementary kids, everything, every all school is available online. Mm-hmm. And and so these kids have basically free reign on the computer when they're doing their homework. And if they, I mean, sometimes you have to monitor that by standing right behind them, staring at the screens to make sure that they stay on track. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like that. Another huge challenge that I've noticed is overscheduling. Um our kids, we get them in sports, dance, you know, everything, music, everything that maybe we wanted to do as a kid even, we put our kids into those programs and they have no time after school, um, no time to even do homework or downtime. I had this boy last year, he's a seventh grader. He came in my office. He was, and he was one of these sports jocks, just a tough boy. Mm-hmm. And he was in my office crying, and it was the sweetest little thing. But he was crying because he felt like he was, he had no time to do his homework, and he was getting in trouble for having bad grades. But he was on two baseball teams and a basketball league, all at the same time. Oh my goodness. And he just, he's like, I can't do it all. I can't do all of this sports and keep up on my schoolwork. Just broke my heart um, mm. for a seventh grader to recognize that. Uh, but anyway, that's what we're dealing with there. 
You know, I th- that, as parents, it's so hard to, um, like you say, you want your kids to be involved. You want your kids to have all the things mm-hmm. that you didn't have or, or the neighbor's kids are doing this. So you want your kid to do it. It's really hard to prioritize those things that I think, um, a lot of our audience are, are these intentional parents. And I think that as we recognize, um, what this overscheduling can do, you know, um, I remember growing up and I think that, or not growing up, but when my kids were small and I think it was easier then than it is now. But for our kids, we let them choose two activities or, you know, two sports that they wanted to do throughout the year. And, um, and then we were just very intentional about what kind of activities that we were doing. And when we felt like, um, things were getting a little bit out of control when we were going so many places that we didn't have time to spend together as a family when, when we were too exhausted to have our, our scripture study. And when we were going so many different ways, we couldn't do family home evening. It's like, okay, it is time to scale back. And those are hard yeah. decisions to make because mm-hmm. it's hard to let go of those, those things. But I think if we look at it from, an idea of, you know what, we would actually be helping our children if we were to take away some of the um, things that are keeping them so busy and just let them, including their phones, because I found like, for my kids now, um, if they're not doing something, then they're on their phone, I think, when do you have time just to think? Or when do you have time to, to just veg or, or to be creative or mm-hmm. to do something that you haven't done in a long time? Yeah. Um, and those are hard decisions to to make as a parent to help our children see that. Yeah. No, it's really difficult because you do want your kids so involved. And um, can I share a quick story about my own personal family? Yes. Um, years ago, when our kids were young, some of our uh, neighbors, some of the adults in our neighborhood were wanting to put together a softball team of adults, a co-ed softball team, and they asked Jeff and I to join, and we talked about it. The league played on Monday nights, and we just felt like, you know what, as fun as that would be, we had to say no, and that was a hard decision for us to say Mm -hmm. no, but we felt like we have to, as adults, we can't overschedule ourselves either so that we can be there with our kids. Mm. That's a really good point because as adults, sometimes there's a lot of things that we want to do, including mm-hmm. social media or spending time on the the Netflix or your phone or whatever. So that's a really good point that not only overscheduling our kids, but overscheduling ourselves so we're not present, we're not there for our kids. That's a really interesting yeah. point. Um, I think you had another story that you wanted to share maybe about um, – not understanding what the expectations are. We have a lot of expectations on our kids and sometimes they don't understand what, what those expectations are. Well, so we place expectations on kids and we say, we don't want you doing this X, Y, and Z, whatever. Um, But this, I heard this story years ago and I don't remember where I read it, probably in like the friend magazine. I don't know, (laughs) but it was um, a, little kid learning to ride a bicycle and the dad said don't go around the corner you can ride your bike up and down the street but don't go around the corner and so the kid took off and he went right around the corner and the dad was like what the heck why are you doing that I said not to go around the corner 
And then the kid looked at him and said, Dad, what is a corner? Ah. Um, and it just, it really has influenced me a lot. It's really impacted me because I thought, how many times do we, like, we have to spell things out. Um, our kids may not understand when we put this expectation in place. They may not understand what you really want them to do. Like, go clean your room. Um, okay, so maybe to them, cleaning their room means putting their toys away, but their clothes are another story, you know, or right. whatever. So um, we can't get too upset. Like, just teach the expectations and be clear with them, but don't just expect or assume that they understand everything you're saying because their minds don't work the same way as yours. You know, that's a really interesting thought. I, I, I can do better with that because sometimes, like you say, you just, when you say clean your room, you know exactly what that means to you, mm -hmm. but it might be something totally different to our children. And then you have those frustrations because your expectation and their expectation are different and uh, no, um, and it wasn't intentional on either part, but then there's that frustration that can, that can happen because of that. Um, so, Corinne, let me just ask you this. We have just a few minutes left. We've talked about a lot of the challenges that these kids have and some of the trends that you are seeing. And um, as intentional parents, what can we do to help our help our kids avoid some of these things? Or, or maybe not avoiding them. Maybe it's not possible to avoid them. But how can we help um, prepare them to deal with these kind of challenges and prepare them to handle these um, difficulties? What what kind of counsel can you give us? Um, well, I think the number one thing is I feel like as parents, and I bet if if people are listening to this podcast, they're probably really good at these things. Um, but I think as parents, the number one thing is be involved in your kid it, with their life, with their activities, attend their activities. When I was, when we first moved, when we first moved to our ward and we, my husband was involved in some um, of the youth activities, I would go to support like the basketball games as the youth played basketball games against each other. And there were not parents there to support these kids. That broke my heart because sometimes these kids aren't the star on the basketball team. Mm-hmm. But they can be the, but they can get parent support at least by coming to those activities. Um, you can, well, can I just interject yeah. really quick? I know, um, from my own kids, but I, I haven't had very many stars on any team. I know. <laughs> me neither. <So. laughs> but I know that by me, um, showing up and I can comment on something that they did or, Hey, that was a really good shot. Or I, that was mm -hmm. really funny how that happened. Or it just creates a connection. It creates a bond that, um, they know that they are important. You left whatever you were doing to go and to watch them in some, I mean, how many little league basketballs have we <laughs> gone through? Um, mm -hmm. but even as they get older, I mean, I have sat through how many, 
basketball games of of just city league and mm-hmm. and their teams are so bad and now you know he's yep. 16 17 years old and I'm still going to watch these basketball games <laughs> <laughs> but yo he's so happy thanks for coming mom you know I, I love yeah. you and I just think that those kind of things um it's not it's not that that is such a great experience what it is it's it's <laughs> Telling them, I love you through your actions. You are important to me. I'm putting you over top of some of the things that I would rather be doing. I mean, even if it's just rather be home watching Netflix, but no, you're, (laughs) you've made the effort to go and watch them. I think that says a lot. And I think that helps create the family culture that we are looking for as Mm -hmm. we, um, show, not just tell our kids, but we show our kids that they are important Mm -hmm. to us. Can I share one more story? I don't know how much time we have. We're good. Yeah, share a story. Okay. Okay. So this happened just like two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And it was it's a personal story. It happened in my family where so my youngest daughter is in ninth grade. It's still junior high um, at this point. She is on the um, tech crew. And so she's like behind the scenes with the school play. Mm-hmm. So she, her job was the curtains, opening and closing the curtains. And so leading up to the play, my husband and I are like, do we really want to go to this play? <laughs> For what? For junior high? high play. <laughs> so, but then she came home and she, she said, I don't care if you don't come. Like she, she mentioned that. But then one day she came home and she's like, our teacher is asking for people to come because they want the auditorium filled. We're like, okay, well, we'll go. So we go, and my other daughter brought a friend to watch. So there were Jeff and me and and Bella and a friend sitting there watching Allie, not watching her, watching the play. but (laughs) Watching the curtains open and close. (laughs) And I think they only opened and closed about three times through the whole play. (laughs) (laughs) It was not a huge job, but... So as we're sitting there and it's getting towards the end of the play and I lean over to Bella and I said, okay, Belle, when those curtains close, we need a cheer. Or when they open, we're like, we need a cheer for Allie. (laughs) And so, and so when the, uh, the curtains opened and, and Bella had actually gone and told some of Allie's friends who were watching too across the aisle from us. And so, there was this huge cheering section when those curtains opened, cheering for Allie to open those curtains up. <laughs> and she opened them. And then what was cute was after the play, she came running out with the biggest grin on her face, gave every one of her friends a hug, hugged Jeff and I. And it was just touching. It's just like, I hope that by us, going to support a junior high play, watching my daughter open and close curtains um, will mean a lot to her in the end. Mm-hmm. That her parents, her family took the time to go and, and support her in this. So I just think it's important to support your kids. That is an awesome story. I love that. And I think that you're absolutely right. I think that as kids, you know, some of those challenges that you were talking about earlier about uh, even trying to find their identity, they're trying to um, figure out who they are. Well, if they know that they're part of a family, they know that they're part of a family that loves them and that um, praises them and encourages them, that gives them a lot of stability. They don't have to go looking for something outside of their 
their own realm uh, because they know where they belong. They know who they are in this this family setting. And that's why families can be so powerful is because mm-hmm. it gives them identity. It gives them a connection to something outside of themselves. Yeah. Great. Um, is there anything else that you can give as far as uh, advice for, for us as parents? Oh, man. Well, I, you know, I'm not sure. Like the best thing is just being involved. Mm-hmm. Um, watch for these, watch for signs of sadness. Watch for anyone um, trying to, you know, change, trying to fit in. Like I think parents have their pulse on their kids mm-hmm. if you are there. Um, another huge thing I would say would be family meals together. I think that is critical. Um, and just like there might be nights where some kids aren't home at the time it's time to eat. But lately, because our family's older and our kids are going and coming and whatever, there's been meals where it's just been my husband and I. We still sit down, have a prayer and um, eat together. Um, and if there's a lot of times there's just us and one kid and that's how it is, mm-hmm. but we have our family meal time together. So I think that's critical. I agree with you. I just think that there's so much that can happen as we do those small things like family meals is, is not a big deal, but over time, those kids, again, it gives them a sense of belonging. It gives them a sense that they um, are part of something that that you're waiting dinner for them or, mm-hmm. um, you know, we have so many fun discussions around the dinner table that when it's, <laughs> when it is just Brent and I, we are like, um, kind of boring. <laughs> it is kind of boring <laughs> because dinner time actually happens to be the time that sometimes they will mm-hmm. open up and they'll share what happened yeah. with their day or, you know, it's when you can connect. And so to let go of that, um, can, can really, minimize how much effect that you can have connecting with your children so I just the other day even and it's Allie she's my um colorful one of my family (laughs) (laughs) Leslie knows her (laughs) she's great we all love Allie (laughs) she's fun um but she and I was surprised to hear this um and this happened maybe a week ago she just said mom I'm so glad we live in a family where we put our phones away at dinner time Mm. Um, and that this is a 15 year old who is attached to her phone. So I was, it, it really means a lot to these kids for her to say that then, you know, it's gotta be true. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. When, when it comes from a teenager, then you know that, that it's important. <laughs> that is so interesting. Yeah. I think that that's another great thing that, that, you know, that idea of being present, putting, Putting away those those phones, putting away those distractions and being present with our children, actually looking them in the eye. I know that was a conference report um, given by um, Sister Jones this last conference. She says, put away our distractions and look our children in the eye. And I think that there's mm-hmm. so much that can happen as we really see our kids and see them for who they really are inside. And yeah. um, Corrine, I appreciate you um, being here and sharing some ideas with us. I know that um, we have some additional things that, that we had wanted to talk about. Maybe get down a little deeper into um, some of these 
things that are, our children are dealing with. And so we're going to actually do kind of a, um, a secondary um, podcast where we can dig deeper a little bit into what is happening with, with our children as far as anxiety and depression and, um, and even suicide. And so if you um, are interested in those kind of things, Join us next week because it'll kind of be a continuation of what we talked about here. And Corrine has some some experiences that she's going to share with us about just what our children are dealing with in the world and and how we can help prepare them to deal with some of these things. So thank you all for coming. Remember, your teaching matters. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.